Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to see you here. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up and turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And maybe we'll just start by reading that passage this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried, lie buried is in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, well, What do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide my safe conduct until I have arrived in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the city, the gates of the citadel and uh, for the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of the Lord was on me, the king granted my request. And so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officials in Calvary with me. And when Sambalat the Horite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we just thank you for your word and how it speaks to us and how we can learn from it and learn your ways and that it's a guide for our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me as I speak your word. May I speak it in power and in truth. And may we all hear it, Lord, as your voice to us today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's these two old guys in the, in the Ozarks and they lived across this river, and they hated each other. I mean, they just despised one another. And so uh, whenever they would see each other on the other side of the bank, they'd start yelling, hey, you goofball, you know, and they'd call them all kinds of names, probably worse than goofball. But anyways, they'd just be yelling at each other, and, and they'd always say, you know, like, if, this, if I could swim, I'd swim over there and beat the tar out of you. And the other guy, of course, would say, yeah, well, if I could swim, I'd come over there and whoop your, your uh, derriere. <laughs> so, and this went back and forth, you know, uh, these guys yelling at each other. They just, they just hated each other, right? Um, and this went on year after year. Uh, the one guy's name was Rufus, and the other guy's name was Clarence. And uh, so they, they would just yell at each other. And one day, the municipality decided to build a bridge across the river, just, just off their properties. And, uh, but, you know, this didn't deter them. They would still yell back and forth about whooping each other and going on and on. And, and finally, one day, Rufus's wife says to him, Rufus, you've been, you've been yelling at your neighbor for 20 years, and why don't you just go over there and whoop him? I mean, you've said you've been wanting to do it. Now you've got a bridge. You can go. So Rufus goes, okay, fine. So he heads out, and uh, he heads out towards the bridge. And as he's approaching the bridge, he notices a little sign under the bridge. And uh, he gets up real close to read it, and he goes, Oh, my goodness! And he just heads back, running, screaming back to his house, slams the doors, bolts the doors, locks the windows, pulls out his shotgun, and crawls under his bed. And his wife's going, What's the problem? Uh, well, uh, you see, dear... Uh, when Ruth, when Clarence was across the river, he looked kind of small. But when I got to the bridge, I saw this sign that said, Clarence, nine feet. <laughs> yeah. 
Clarence, nine feet. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we think we're going to do great things. And maybe you've had the thought, I'm going to do great things for God. But when you get close and the opportunity comes for you to do great things, you know, opportunity is knocking, but so are your knees, you know, <laughs> you're afraid. And a lot of times we, we don't do what we know we ought to do. And God calls all believers to do great things for him. And sometimes when the opportunity pops, we, we don't take it. We just shy away. And uh, so with Nehemiah, he went and did what he felt he should do, even though he was absolutely petrified, even though he was trying to change the mind of the most powerful man in the then known world. Uh, you see, he was, he was accountable to King uh, Xerxes. He, he was directly under King Xerxes. He, he was his boss. And, uh, you know, we're all accountable to somebody. Uh, we all have bosses. We all have authority over us. I have a district superintendent. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe you say, well, I don't have, I'm my own boss. Yeah, well, your clients probably have some authority over you too. And so it seems like every, everybody is under some some sort of authority. And, um, you know, I, you guys sort of are all my boss, right? <laughs> uh, because I'm under re- responsibility to all of you. And so we're accountable. And so whether you're a student, a teacher, a nurse, an executive, a, a salesman, a pilot, a chef, a scientist, we all have immediate supervisors that impact our life. And sometimes those immediate supervisors are grouchy, grumpy, not very fair, not very kind, not, not considerative of you and your welfare and your well-being. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, we are also married to someone who might not be considerate of our feelings. And we, not, not my case, just make that clear. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we, we're with people who want to take authority over our lives and make our lives miserable. And that happens. Um, and so, a lot of times when people are, are natural leaders, they have trouble with having a leader over them. And I know before I became senior pastor, I was associate pastor for about six years. And uh, it was always interesting, and I, and I, I kind of liked being senior pastor because there's someone watching everything you did all the time. Um, and you had more, a little more freedom. But I had to learn also that I had to be under somebody, and we have to be know where our position is. And just like the uh, centurion in, in Christ's day, when he was asking for healing for a servant, he came to the Lord and said, you know, can you heal my servant? And Jesus said, okay, I'll come and see him. And he said, no, 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 no. I don't need you to come into my home. I'm not worthy of that. Uh, but, but I'm a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to that one, come, and he comes. And I say to that one, do this, and he does it. And so he understood his position. And we need to understand our position in life if we want to make a difference for the world. And we need to operate within our position. You know, when Nehemiah found out that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down, right away, I think, in his heart, he started thinking, boy, what can I do about that? Because he was a man who fixed things. He got things done. And so um, he might have thought right away, well, I should go over there and build the new wall. But that would mean leaving his job as cupbearer to the king. And so he didn't just take he wasn't derelict of his responsibilities. He didn't just take off and head for Jerusalem and doesn't matter what the king thinks. I'm just going to go do my... No, he realized that in his position, he had to function within his place and within the authority structures that be, even if those authority structures weren't Christian, even if those authority structures were quite uh, authoritative and quite uh, un- unconcerned about other people. And so... Um, that's how Nehemiah found himself, not the kind of authority that one would want to cross. 
Not the kind of authority that changes his mind easily. Not one to be concerned with other people's issues, really, was King Artaxerxes. So does that sound like your teacher, your boss, your, your manager? Maybe, I don't know. So this is nothing new, that being under the authority of someone who might not be reasonable. But how do you deal with a stubborn boss? Especially if you need his permission to go do something. How do you deal with that? Well, we can learn a lot from Nehemiah. And so in, in these verses from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, uh, 1 to 10, uh, we're going to just see how Nehemiah deals with these things. First thing we note is that uh, Nehemiah realizes that swaying Artaxerxes' mind is not really in his own power to do. He, he doesn't have the authority or the power to sway the king's mind. And he was putting himself in great danger by attempting to do so. Note at the end of verse 2, it says that I was very much afraid. And so, uh, you know, Nehemiah realized it was a dangerous thing to challenge the king. You see, um, while Artaxerxes was governor or, or the king, and we're not sure if it's this Artaxerxes or the Artaxerxes before him, but it seems that if you go into the book of Ezra, you find out that the people around Jerusalem had written letters to the king. And in these letters, they said, you know, this, this city of Jerusalem that they're building this temple in, this is a wicked city. This city is always rebelling against the king, and it causes nothing but trouble. And, you know, king, you should check out your records to make sure that this, this temple that they're building, they won't. Uh, rebel against you and so the king actually made a search and this is what the king wrote back to the people in trans-Euphrates which was beyond Euphrates which is basically uh, where Israel is and so Artaxerxes says I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedation Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates, and taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to to these men to stop the work so that the city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to be to the detriment of the royal interests? Oh, so that's... uh, King Xerxes stand on this particular matter, this particular city. And so Nehemiah was up against a powerful man, but also a man who had already decided something. And so here he's coming along to try to change the mind of King Xerxes. And so you can't be blame Nehemiah for being a little apprehensive about the whole situation, you know. Uh, because as you know, uh, you probably heard the saying, don't try to change that. It's like the law of the Medes and the Persians, right? I mean, they actually made a saying about it, that this, that the laws of the Medes and the Persians don't change. And so uh, probably the king's mind is not going to change too easy either. But Nehemiah realizes he's not alone in this battle. He's been invoking God on behalf of God's chosen people and God's chosen city. Hudson Taylor once said, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. And so Nehemiah has been praying to move the heart of the king. And he's been fasting and it's been going on and on. And I'm sure Nehemiah had read how King David before he was king, when he was just a shepherd boy, challenged Goliath, that huge giant of, of the um, Philistines. And uh, when he challenged him, he went out there and, and he did it in the name of the Lord. And so Nehemiah had heard, okay, it doesn't matter how big the problem is. If God's for us, we can go against it no matter what. And he's probably read, read uh, Proverbs 21, which says this. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? You know, in the in original Hebrew, the, the sentence actually doesn't start with the king's heart. It starts with the word channels. 
And it's referring to small irrigation ditches that run from the main reservoir out into the fields, and they would irrigate. And so uh, sometimes you, you put a little dam in this irrigation ditch so that the water would go over to that field, and then, then you dam that one, and you'd open up this one. And so it was, it was very simple to change the direction of where the water course was going. I remember when I was seven years old, um, I, my, we were on our way from Ontario to BC to live there, and uh, we stopped at this campground, and, and there was a beach, and there was this river that ran right through the beach. And I got this brilliant idea that I'd like to change the direction of the river. And so I got some rocks and sand, and I, and I changed, I diverted the river, and, it, and then it flowed through a different pathway. And it was, so, it was so exciting and so much fun. I was like seven years old. Maybe you have a picture here. Maybe we don't. There we go. I was just a little guy. But I was working like crazy on this dam to build it. Uh, that's actually not me, but I just found it on the Internet, but it looked like me. <laughs> Yeah, I was cute at one point. <laughs> Anyways, I worked so hard on that dam, I couldn't walk for an entire week afterwards. We have pictures of me sitting in a lawn chair on our trip. I couldn't move. <laughs> it's just wrecked. But it was so much fun to, to just divert the, the course of the river. And, and, you know, I think God... We often think, you know, like the powerful people in our world who have their minds made up, we can never change their minds. And you know what? You're absolutely right. We can never change their minds. But their minds are in the Lord's hands. And when we recognize that, that can set us to prayer. You know, the scriptures say that we ought to pray for those in authority over us. And, you know, there is a whole house of prayer dedicated to praying for our government. And sometimes we think, uh, you know, well, at least the last uh, you know, prime minister, he was, you know, attending our church. We could pray for him. At least we knew God would influence his life. God can influence every person's life and every leader's life. And don't give up on people just because they might not think the way you think. Go to God. God is the one that can make a difference in our life because he holds the king's heart in his hands. That's what the scripture says. And look what it says at the end of the verse. And he turns it wherever he wishes. Turns it wherever he wishes. Whatever God wants, that's, what he's gonna, that's what's going to happen. I mean, he took King Cyrus... Uh, the, Bab the Persian conqueror who conquered Babylonia, that's no easy feat. And he changed his heart so that he would allow the temple to be constructed. And so why couldn't he change the heart of Artaxerxes to have the city built? And so Nehemiah was thinking that. And so Nehemiah says in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So no, Nehemiah didn't quit his job and take off and take matters into his own hand. He decided he would work within the system and that God had to impress something on the king's heart and mind. You see, he was working within the system. But guess what? Most people thought the system was the Persian kingdom. But it wasn't. That's not the system that he was working within. He was working within the kingdom of God, which was greater than the Persian Empire. That's the system that Nehemiah was in, and Nehemiah recognized what he had to do. So what happened when Nehemiah prayed? Did God come in and just change everything? Well, after Nehemiah prayed, the next day, nothing happened. And the day after that, nothing happened. And all that week, nothing happened. In fact, the next week, nothing happened. And the week after that, and the week after that, and the month after that, in fact, nothing happened for four months. Nehemiah is praying and weeping and fasting. I don't imagine he fasted the whole four months. But he was fasting all this time and praying out to God. And uh, we see this prayer. This prayer was probably prayed the night before something actually happened. Um, 
And, but if you notice in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the month of Kiev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. And then in chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan. So we realize that there's four months between when he first found out that the city walls of Jerusalem were just destroyed and chapter 2. So chapter 1, chapter 2, they're four months apart. And our assumption is that Nehemiah was praying all this time. Um, do you ever have a disillusioning experience? You think you're doing the right thing, but it doesn't seem to be working. You know, maybe it's trying to train your children the way they should go. Maybe it's a trying to, to reach your neighbor for Christ. Maybe it's some prayer that you're praying for healing or something. I don't know what it might be. But maybe it just feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and that's it. They don't seem to be being heard by the God of heaven. And I think Nehemiah could have been feeling that way. And it probably was quite disheartening. And you know what? One of the things that I've noticed about a prayer a lot of times god just wants us to wait and trust him and it takes time for god to answer our prayers sometime i don't really know why that is but maybe i think he's just trying to teach us some patience you know it's one of the fruit of the spirit and uh, i think we often don't get it and so god wants to teach us patience and a lot of times we want to say, Lord, please give me patience right now. You know, <laughs> that's the way our prayers go. But I, I love the Living Bible, and, and it says this. On, the, on one day in April, four months later, about this passage, it's basically pointing out that it took four months. A long time. Notice, though, that in verse 2, um, it says, the last part, it says, I had not been sad in his presence before. I find it fascinating that Nehemiah doesn't bring his personal pain to work. He leaves that at home and in his prayer closet. When he's at work, he's his cheerful self, he's serving the king, and he's doing it diligently. And even though his heart is way over on the other side of the Euphrates River, way over in, uh, you know, almost a thousand miles, miles away that's where his heart is but he's serving here and he's doing it cheerfully he wasn't sad he didn't let the pain in his heart be shown and i believe that this is one of the keys for nehemiah's success that people liked him uh, probably why he became the cupbearer to the king is that the king liked him and maybe the queen liked him too and so uh it's vital if you want to have an impact in your world that people like you that people you know like to be around you and that you're not every day always complaining about how terrible it is you know i, I think one of the, one of the things about our world today is at work and at, around the water cooler it seems like it's just a normal natural thing to complain all the time every day about everything people just love to complain and when you don't complain you stand out when people say something negative and you then you follow it with something positive they look at you like you know, wow you're cheery today you know like they can't believe it and that's the way it ought to be for believers who have the eternal faith in god have a pure heart have been made right before god even though there might be some difficulties tensions in our life we don't have to wear them on our sleeves. <clears throat> and so we're not sure if Nehemiah had, after months and months of answerless prayer, had sort of gotten to the end. He's just like, oh, man, this is just not working. Um, you know, not getting anywhere with the king. And that his face became sad because of that. Or if he just allowed, decided one day that I'm going to allow my facial expression to be obvious and maybe the king will take note and we'll see where it goes um, i think it was the latter actually because in nehemiah's prayer in chapter one he says give me um success before this man today so it's interesting that he says that kind of prayer so we think that maybe that prayer was the one he said on the last day before he went to see the king also i think that uh, nehemiah was waiting for an opportunity when the king and queen would be together 
I just have a feeling that the queen was a little softer than the king, you know? And so he was just waiting for the queen to be sitting next to him. Ah, here's a good opportunity, you know? So I think sometimes we need to recognize that strategy and strategizing when to speak up, when to say something, how to do it. Don't just bring up the subject necessarily. Sometimes we just need to act sad. And someone will say, well, what's with you? You're always so chipper and what's going on? And this was the opportunity. So I think that Nehemiah just decided one day to let the king know by his expression, but we can't be sure of that. And so um, the king takes note, and maybe it was the queen, you know. What's, why is Nehemiah so sad today? And the king's like, oh, yeah, he does look a little sad. Speaks up, you know, and says, so, so the king says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can mean nothing but sadness of the heart. And I love Nehemiah's response. I was very much afraid. <laughs> this is that moment. Is he going to just say, oh, it's nothing. It's all okay. Uh, I just had a depressive thought there for a second. It's all good. Have some wine, king. Or is he going to do it? Is he going to run away? Clarence is nine feet tall, you know. (laughs) What's he going to do? I was very much afraid. I I love Nehemiah's honesty here. He's just like, man, I was freaking out. This is scary stuff. You don't deal with the, the, the leader of the Persian Empire and just, you know, it's breaking protocol to be sad in his presence. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Notice that he doesn't actually name Jerusalem. (laughs) Maybe he just wants the, let's just bypass that little detail. It's the city of my ancestors. So he's, he's getting, he's basically making a plea to the king. You see, in the Persian empire, your ancestors were very important. You honored their graves. And so Nehemiah was referencing a Persian custom to get the king's uh, sympathy, basically. And so he didn't, didn't destroy that by saying, you know, Jerusalem, you know, like, oh, yeah, I heard of that place, you know, it's always rebellious. No, he, he just gets to the, makes it personal with the king. And the king says to me, to him, what is it that you want? The king's fairly perceptive, too. He, you know, Nehemiah's not getting past the king here. He, he figures it out. Okay, Nehemiah wants something here. Um, and so, uh, but this was a door God was opening. And so Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. We call this a quickie prayer. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of a situation, you do a quickie prayer. You know, I, I think God sometimes drops situations on in our life just to get us to pray. You know, I heard about this teacher giving a really hard test. And when she was handing the papers back, she said, you know, I, was, I heard from God today and I think uh, he was telling me, good job making all these students pray. Because <laughs> you know, they were all praying because the test was so hard. And so it is. We, we sometimes we need to send up a quickie prayer right in the middle of a conversation, right in the middle of something going on. And we need to pray quickly. And it, it doesn't take long because he has to answer um, right away. They say that success comes... When a thousand hours of preparation is met by one moment of opportunity. And you know, I believe that's true. Are you prepared to give an answer for your faith? Do you have opportunities? When the opportunity strikes, you know, a lot of times as parents, we have opportunities. And I I often find it's only after I've let an opportunity go that I realize it's an opportunity. And, I, oh, I missed that one. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Um, and we have opportunities to mentor our children. We have opportunities to mentor all kinds of people. And uh, sometimes if we're not prepared, if we don't have, if we haven't done any planning, we're not going to be prepared to, to share our faith with other people. It just won't happen. Uh, Andy Stanley says in his book, uh, Visioneering, he says, what God originates, he orchestrates. And I believe that God origi- originated 
a burden for Jerusalem in Nehemiah's heart. When his brother came back from Jerusalem and told him about it, God started this longing in Nehemiah's heart to go back there. And I believe with that, then God started orchestrating. Just like as in the book of Esther, God started arranging things, got Nehemiah to be right beside the king as his cupbearer, got him that place of influence and was able to use him for that purpose. Um, Longtime actress uh, uh, Gracie Allen once received a small living alligator as a gift, right? <laughs> Not knowing what to do, Gracie placed it in the bathtub and then left for an appointment. And when she returned home, she found this note from her maid. Dear Miss Allen, sorry, but I have to quit. I don't work in houses where there is an alligator. I'd have told you that when I was hired, but I never thought it would come up. <laughs> <laughs> You never know what's going to come up. You never know quite, you know, can you imagine the shock? See this alligator in the bathtub? But you never know what's going to come up. And so we need to be ready. We need to have the opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity, the Bible says, because the days are evil. You don't know when you're going to get another opportunity that comes along. And so we need to be ready. Um, the, the Bible says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. I love that verse. It basically means that you should always have a four spiritual laws booklet in your back pocket or on your phone or something. Always be, be prepared. Now, now I have it up here in my head. But when I first started sharing my faith with people, I had to have a little Four Spiritual Laws book stuck in my wallet. And when I would pull it out, it'd be all ratted and torn up because I'd been sitting on it for months, you know? And I'd pull it out and I'd share it with people. Um, but we need to have the ability to do that at the drop of a hat because the opportunity only comes once in a while. So Nehemiah said, he answers the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king asks him a practical question. And you can tell that in this question that the king liked Nehemiah and didn't want him gone too long. And the, and the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? I, I believe that not only was Nehemiah a cheerful man, but he was effective man. He was good at what he did, did, and he was aware of the king's need. He was probably aware of what wine the king liked, what vintage the king liked. He was probably aware of all that stuff. And so the king liked him, and so the king wanted him back. And he says, how long? And so it says that Nehemiah set the time. And so Nehemiah has thought this out. Nehemiah has not just been praying for four months but he's figured out okay how long would it take what what am i going to do should i be sad in the king's praise so he's got all this plan unfolding as he's working along um and it's not a wishy-washy plan and i believe god honors our planning and our strategizing uh, sometimes christians get this idea that all i got to do is pray and then god will do everything else but that's not the case god uses uh, organizers. God, God uses administrators. God uses people to put things together, and then he comes along and, and does the heavy lifting. Um, the, the Bible says, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And, and it also says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. We need to give thought to what we're doing. We can't just assume God is going to do everything. God and I've said this many times, God is in partnership with us. It's not like he's off doing his thing and we're off doing our thing. And he, he, and he doesn't want to just do it on his own. He wants to draw us in into a partnership with him. And that's what's going on here. And so Nehemiah is very practical. So it sounds like he's got permission to go. He says, well, it'll take this long. And the, the king's kind of like, okay, okay, that sounds okay. But then Nehemiah pushes it a little step further. And he goes, uh, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct when I arrive in Judah. 
and may have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he may give me timber for the beams of the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. See, he's thinking ahead. He's realizing if I have this opportunity, I got to ask for letters. I got to ask for timber. And he also already knows how long it's going to be. So he's thought it. He's thought about all these things. And when the opportunity strikes, he's ready right there. Um, and then I love what it says next. It says, and the gracious and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He recognizes it wasn't his cunningness that he, you know, he was sad. And then the king asked him and the queen was there and he was all prepared and ready. He realized that wasn't it. He realizes that it was God. It's because God's gracious hand, because he'd been praying, because God uh, had listened to his prayers and his repentance. Um, my, ver- my favorite verse or one of my life, ver- my life verse, I guess, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And I believe that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing here. He was saying, it was the Lord's gracious hand. It wasn't my cunningness. It wasn't my um, niceness. It wasn't my hard work. It was the Lord, and he's acknowledging that. And I believe that Christians often forget to do that. We pray and pray and pray, and then God answers, and we just, oh, Oh, did that really happen? I, sometimes I, I phone people after they've been to the front of the church for anointing with oil and prayer for some sickness or other, and I phone them and I say, so how's your ear doing? And there's a silence, and then they go, oh yeah, I haven't had pain. I haven't had pain since Sunday when you prayed for me. Like it doesn't even cross their mind, you know? Like, And, and so it's so awesome to see that. And, and, and it's happened like not... More than once that's happened. And it's really encouraging. And yet it's, it's typical that we often forget to acknowledge that God's hand was with us and that God did a work in our life. Um, and then the, it says, uh, So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king also sent army officials and cal- cavalry with me. This bonus, right? Remember? The king's heart is in God's hands, and he directs it wherever he wills. And God said, why don't you give him some, some uh, horsemen as well and some spearmen to go along with? And the king's like, oh, yeah, why don't I? Right? So God is in control. And no matter how cantankerous your boss might be, God is still in control, and God can change your heart, their heart. Now, verse 10 says, when Samballat the Horite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone would come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. There's opposition to what's going on. And there's sort of an evil villain in every story, it seems. And these guys are like, what? You've come to help the Jews? Oh, we're not happy about this. And they start plotting themselves how they're going to stop this work. And uh, so in uh, June, we're going to look at that uh, when I get back from some holidays. So um, you'll have to wait. So I want to just wrap this up and just share with you some of the principles that we see in, um, in what Nehemiah was doing. The first principle is that changing people's hearts is God's business not our business. And that requires prayer. Secondly, praying and waiting go hand in hand. Praying and waiting, they just go hand in hand. And uh, faith is not a substitute for strategy and planning. Sometimes we can get that. Oh, well, I'm just going to believe and God will work it all out. No, <laughs> you work with God to work it all out. Opposition to God's will can be expected. So don't you love this guy, Nehemiah? I, I, I love this guy. I mean, he's, he's an awesome blend of faith and realism. Like, he's not just all faith and he's not just all realism. He's a blend of the two. It's not all about prayer. It's also action. 
He does something about it. It's not just courage, but also dependence upon God. And I believe that that makes a powerful person, a leader. When you have both of those things operating together, not just one half of that equation. We need both. And so this is Leadership 101. Nehemiah realized his own limitations. He sought help from the Lord through prayer and fasting. He organized a plan of action while waiting for God. Just waiting to see if the opportunity comes, and I'm going to use this plan. If the opportunity doesn't come, won't use the plan. And then, even when there was opposition, he pressed on. Um, so I want you to know today that God has placed you where He's placed you. And you might say, "Well, I'm not. You know, I I, I don't have a place in Parliament where I'm. You know, I'm, I don't even serve." you know, politician, parliamentarians, anything. I, I'm not like Nehemiah at all. Well, Nehemiah wasn't a big somebody. He was just a, he was a steward. He was a, served the king wine. That's all he did. And yet God used him to do great things. And God wants to use you to do great things in your situation. You may not know what God is doing beside the, behind the scenes in your life, but God is doing something. He is, he is working something out. And the, the question is whether you will, you will take the opportunities to discover what God is doing. You know, Andy Stanley uh, makes a point between the dreamers and visionaries. And he says, uh, a dreamer dreams about things being different if only this would happen oh if only we had a different this governor if only you know the laws were different if only if only but visionaries envision themselves making a difference and they get involved and uh, martin luther king was a person like that he was visionary and got involved and led people um, when god places a burden on you a burden that calls for change Will you be ready to be used by God to make a difference? There's a saying, if we always do what we've always done, we always get what we've always gotten. (laughs) I like that. It's the same old, same old, unless you step up and beg God for a difference and then go out, set out and make to make the difference. It's going to be the same. So are you ready to meet goals that are bigger than you? Some... You know, when something seems too big for us, it's actually kind of a good sign. You know, I remember when, when we were planning on building this, this extension, the, the Mandarin Church. And I remember sitting at my desk in the, the, the estimates for the building. At first, I estimated 600000 600, for the building of that building. And then the architect estimated double that. One million two hundred thousand, and then when the estimate, then when he made the final plan up and he showed it to us, the estimate was at one point seven million. And then when we actually got the quotes from the builders and all the people that would actually do the work, the the price went to two point two million. And I remember sitting in my office, and this was right in the middle of a downturn economically. People were losing jobs and work. Uh, I forget what year it was, but it was in the news. And, and I remember sitting in my office just going, oh, my goodness, $2 million? That's ridiculous. We can't do this. It's, it can't happen. And, you know, I heard God's voice in my heart saying, no, but this is what I want. And it was something way bigger than I felt capable of leading. I just felt like I can't do that. And yet... I sense God calling us. And it was, it was tough. But because of God's voice in my mind, and there was, there was a couple of other things that God pointed out. I can't remember exactly what they were. But it just gave peace to me, and I was able to move forward. And so I think sometimes God puts really big things, really big obstacles in our pathway just to remind us that we can't do it on our own. I'm a very independent person, and I like to do things on my own and and very determined. And I I think God just loves to do that, you know, just 
put a roadblock in there just so that I can poof. Ugh, that hurt. You know, just it gets my attention and then makes it bigger than me. And I don't like that. I like to have control. But God wants us to give him control. And it's vital. <clears throat> You know, I don't know about your situation, but I want to remind you of two ladies who had huge hurdles to cross. And they kind of did it the same way as Nehemiah did. Um, first lady was, was Jochebed. Jochebed uh, was a lady in the Old Testament, and she was living in a time where the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was killing off all the children of the Israelites. And she, I assume, was a, is a woman of prayer because of the way her son eventually behaved. Uh, he knew where he came from. And, and she made a plan. She, made, she came up with this plan. She said, you know what? I'm going to hide my son so that nobody knows he's alive. And, uh, and so they won't come and kill him. And so then after three months or four months, you know, the babies cry, right? They get very noisy. She didn't know what to do with them. So she couldn't keep them in the house because there's patrols going around looking for babies to kill. And so she put them in a little basket and put them in the Nile River. And uh, Jacobed told uh, Miriam, we assume, who was older than Moses, to go watch this baby in the basket, and if anyone comes along, and, and sure enough, someone did come along. It was the, the daughter of Pharaoh came along and saw the baby in the basket. And she said to her attendants, oh, look, there's one of the Hebrew children uh, probably trying to save him from, from destruction. And probably her heart went out to this little baby. And immediately, uh, Jacobed's daughter runs over says, oh, by the way, uh, you know, uh, I know a, a lady who could nurse that baby for you uh, if you'd like. And uh, the, queen, the, the, the princess says, oh, okay, that'd be great. Sure. And so the girl runs home, gets her mom, right? <laughs> Brings her mom to nurse the baby. And so um, Jacobed gets a chance to teach Moses for maybe three or four years. And then he's sent off to the palace to live. And so you might say, you know, my situation is not like Nehemiah's. I'm just a tiny little person. Well, Jochebed, probably many of you didn't even know who she was when I first mentioned her name. We all know who Moses is. Moses was a, a world changer. But he had a mother who cared and planned and loved him. And had a contingency plan when her son was born. Another lady uh, was infertile. She couldn't have a baby. Her name was Hannah. And uh, she had a, uh, I don't know what you call another wife to a man. What do you call that? I don't know. <laughs> a rival wife. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, Elkina had two, two wives, and Hannah was one of them. And the other wife, she had lots of children, but Hannah couldn't have children. And this upset her. And the other wife would, would tease her. You know, ha, 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 you don't have any kids. God doesn't love you very much. He loves me because I have lots of kids. <laughs> and she would keep at this until Hannah would break down and cry and not want to eat. Very upset. And so what does Hannah do? She goes to the temple and she goes to the steps on the temple and she just starts weeping there and crying and talking. But she's talking with her mouth, but no sound is coming out, right? So she's moving her lips and no sound. And the high priest comes along and says, hey, you drunk woman, get off the temple steps, you know, basically tries to kick her out, right? Um, and she says, oh, no, my Lord. I'm not drunk, as you assume. I haven't had any wine or beer, but I've been pouring out my heart to the Lord, asking him for a son. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is sometimes we think that the opposition always comes from outside. But sometimes the opposition is from the very people we think should lead us towards God. And here the opposition to Hannah came from the high priest. And he just doesn't understand 
what's going on in her heart or in her life. But she perseveres and she asks God and God grants her request. And she has her son named Samuel. Now, of course, Samuel became a world changer as well. And so, you know, it's clear that we don't have to be great to change the world. We can influence somebody who will change the world. And we can pray for somebody who will change the world. And certainly, I think all the parents in in Israel during the time when the children were being killed by Pharaoh were, were praying for their children. Why this one? I don't know. But God calls us to be faithful where we are in the little things. Jesus says that if you remain faithful in the little things, I will put you in charge of many things. And so we need to be faithful wherever we are, whether we're the cupbearer to the king or the, the feeder of the dog. I don't know. Whatever you are, we need to be faithful where we are and recognize that we need to have a plan of action for when God opens up the opportunity. And when we've been praying and praying and praying, and I believe that when we pray for something, God opens the door. Well, let's, let's pray and just ask God to give us the wisdom to do what we need to do in our own situations. Lord, we all have different situations and Lord, Lord, I, I pray for those mothers today who are like Jochebed or Hannah, and they're facing huge dilemmas, huge struggles. And Lord, I pray that they would learn from Nehemiah to give it to you. Maybe their husbands are being terrible to them. Lord, I pray that you would empower them to do what Nehemiah did and give their husbands over to you and ask you to change them. Lord, I pray that they would fast and pray and be honorable, respectful to their husbands. And Lord, I pray that you would make a difference in their lives and change their husbands. Lord, maybe there are women who are struggling with infertility. Maybe there are women who are struggling with rebellious children. Maybe there are women who are worried about their son or daughter's health and don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that they will be drawn into your, your way of doing things, calling out to you, making a plan, and then waiting for the opportunities. Father, we pray for all those who are in this situation, not just mothers, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that your, your hand of grace would be on all of us as we follow Nehemiah's example. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.